I'm Terry Stevenson, sales manager for CFO Broadcasting here in Manitowoc. I started working for the radio station when I was in high school. I went to a youth conference, and that is when I first came to know Christ. I grew up in the Lutheran Church, and when the youth program went to this conference called DCLA, that's kind of when I first heard the gospel message. And I came home from this conference totally on fire for Christ. Like, I was in, in, in ninth, tenth grade, and I just was, like, on fire for God, and I wanted to, to do something. And so I, I came home, and I went to my grandfather, and I said, I want to do a, a Christian radio show. He said, I will give you a 30-minute time segment uh, on our classic rock station, uh, but you have to find the sponsors for it. And so I was in high school selling sponsorships to do a 30-minute weekly Christian radio show on on a classic rock station late Sunday nights. And I remember playing a lot of Skillet, a lot of Toby Mac, uh, DC Talk back in the day. Um, on, on, on a station that was playing ACDC, Sticks, REO, Journey, and I just had a lot of fun doing it. But that show was really uh, my start in, in radio, and it gave me an opportunity to um, share my faith in a secular environment. Another way that I've really been able to incorporate faith into my professional life is by being able to share with some clients that I've, that I've really gotten to know on a personal level. I've really had an awesome opportunity God has given me to like build some relationships with clients more on a deeper level, more than just on that on that professional uh, business level, but more on one-on-one. -on -one. And so there are numerous times throughout, throughout the past several years I can recall that, that I've been able to talk about my faith and talk about what it means to be a Christian and actually talk more about how Faith Church has helped me grow in my faith and in my in my journey and I'm really thankful for those opportunities a lot of times I've struggled with you know how am I selling radio advertising how is that making a difference in God's kingdom and I've really struggled with that throughout the years like and I want to make a difference and I want to make an impact and how am I doing that by selling a, a radio spot and I've come to really realize that it's not necessarily what I'm selling, but it's about the building of the relationships with uh, clients and, and, and that have become friends that have been able to use my professional career to share my faith because of what I'm doing. You know, it's a struggle sometimes, you know, being in, being in a secular environment, being in, living in the world, right? I mean, scripture talks about we live in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. And it's sometimes hard, especially because I'm always constantly around uh, this concept of, of, of selling and making money and things like that, that I have to sometimes be reminded of and be mindful of that there's a bigger picture and there's a bigger purpose in my life than just what I do, but it's who I'm doing it with. You know, scripture says that whatever you do, do it as if you're working for the Lord. And, you know, it's, it's not, I'm not perfect by any means. You know, I struggle. You know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of struggles in my life, but being reminded of and mindful of that, that I'm working for the Lord, um, is important. And I think that no matter what we do, whether we're in, in a professional environment, whether we're in a ministry, whether we are uh, in a healthcare, uh, retail, whatever, that serving people the way that Christ serves us, I think is so important. You know, Christ calls us to love and, and to love people. And 
you know, the Great Commission, go out and make disciples. Um, and I think in order for us to do that, we need to be able to know how to do relationships well. We need to be able to have relationships with people so that people can trust us, so that when we talk to them about Christ, there's that, that foundation of, I'm trusting you, and I, and, I, and I value what you're saying to me. But I think, you know, that's what Jesus calls us to do, is to build relationships. And personally, I'm really thankful for uh, the ministry of Faith Church and the counseling ministry of Faith Church, whether it's character development or the journey program, because those are, are programs, I hate the word to use programs, but those are, those are programs that have really impacted my life to help me learn how to do relationships better and how to do relationships in a healthy way um, and understand that like life is bigger. I mean, it's just the tip of the iceberg, right? So let's go deeper and then let's go deeper than that. I would encourage anyone at Faith Church, any believer for that matter, to know that we're called to make a difference, to know that, that Christ will give us opportunities if we ask him for it, and know that Christ is going to be with us. And I want to encourage other people just to, just to give it a shot, right? Like, ask God for an opportunity. Lord, give me a chance today to, to step out of my comfort zone. And what that looks like is different for everybody. And that's okay. I think for me, being, I, I, I want to be in control. I want to know what's going on. I'm an, I'm an organizer for those that know me. Like, like I have things organized. So I want to know if I do this, this is what's going to happen. That's not how faith works. And I think sometimes like getting out of that mindset and just realizing, okay, I'm just going to plant a seed, and who knows what's going to happen. But I believe that God will definitely use us if we let him use us. We just need to be willing to, to risk and, uh, and to take the challenge. Some of you know Terry Stevenson, and uh, some of you don't know Terry Stevenson, and now you know him a little bit more. And uh, he is just a super guy. I've known him for years. If you ever listen to the radio show that I do on Saturday mornings, it's called Walk by Faith um, on 9.35 a.m. on WMT every Saturday morning, by the way. Um, you, you will hear the name Terry Stevenson because he's the guy that produces the show. So I, I sit there and talk, and and he's running all the buttons, and he's making sure everything's working really well. And uh, I've known Terry for a number of years now, and it's just a joy to see how God has got a hold of his life and how he's growing him up. And actually, uh, Terry is here this morning. Terry, come on up here for a minute, because uh, in his video there, he said, you know, you just got to take risks. You just got to go below the surface. And as I watched it and I talked to him, I said, Terry, I want to take a risk and go a little bit deeper than what your testimony uh, on the video said and just uh, kind of probe in a little bit because uh, I know your story, like you say, and uh, you've gone through some pretty heavy storms, and you don't necessarily have to air all that with us, but at least you can maybe say, uh, help us understand sort of what those storms were all about and how God grew you through those and how he used the body of believers at faith or uh, here um, to kind of help, help lead you through those and kind of where you were at and where you're at now. So I'll just let you talk, and I'll step back. All right. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, so for those that, that know me, um, you know my story. And my story is filled with a lot of, um, a lot of pain, a lot of brokenness, a lot of abandonment, uh, a lot of dysfunction. Um, and that story goes back to as a childhood uh, to even recent, 
recent years. And, uh, you know, it's been a struggle um, continuing to work through my story and continuing to understand uh, more as to maybe why God allows pain to happen. Um, you know, I, I've never been able to really answer the question as to why God allows pain because um, it doesn't always make sense. You know, why why we have to go through pain, um, why why pain is caused to us and why we may cause pain to other people. Um, but I do know that there's beauty in God's redemption. I know that there's beauty in God's healing. Uh, and I know there's beauty in, in being in connection and being in, in relationship with uh, with the body of believers. And when I say that, I refer to going deeper, right? Uh, being more authentic, more real, rather than just, uh, you know, on the surface, but to go deeper. And, you know, I know that if it wasn't for uh, the counseling ministry here at Faith Church and uh, several individuals um, that are in this room right now and you know who you are, uh, I wouldn't be here today and I wouldn't be who I am today. Um, and I know that when we are able to be authentic, when we're able to uh, be in, in a deeper relationship with, with other believers, God is really going to shine. And God's really going to make a difference in our lives. Um, you know, we all have a story. Uh, and some of us have no idea even what that means when I say your story. And, and I get that because I was there. Uh, I mean, I was always against the idea of talking about your story or even understanding your story or, you know, thinking about the past. You know, the past is the past. You don't need to go there. Um, I mean, I was, I, was really, I was really against it. And, uh, but thankfully, uh, there were some people that, that pushed me in a loving way and really guided me to, um, to understanding a little bit more and to walk with me. Um, and so I'm thankful for, uh, obviously, those individuals, but also thankful for the fact that God has been with me through it all, even when I didn't know Christ, uh, and even when I wasn't walking with, with the Lord, uh, and even when, when I was going through some struggles, like I said, you know, as a child or even recently, uh, professionally prof or personally, um, God has been there. And I think that God allows us to go through those storms, um, knowing that if we can just turn back to him, uh, we're going to experience his healing, and we're going to experience redemption unlike anything we've ever experienced before. So I'm thankful for it. Awesome. Thanks, Terry. Appreciate it. Thank Terry for sharing his story. Like I said, I've known Terry for a number of years, and um, I was thinking about him sharing his story this morning, and, and I was thinking, you know, when, when we first met, uh, Terry's always been nice. He's always been kind. He's, he's very outgoing, as you know. I would say, uh, Terry, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, he, his life was kind of governed by fear, uh, fear of this, fear of that. And now I see a man who's courageous and uh, a guy who's willing to lean into that tough stuff of life because he knows God wants to bring a wholeness into his life. And uh, he's just an awesome story uh, that you heard from him. And uh, we're grateful that we get to watch it, Terry. And, you know, Terry's not alone. I, I, I look around, and I know some of your stories, and I know that God uh, is doing amazing things in your lives too. And he's uh, growing you. And uh, honestly, um, okay, I'm just going to be honest. There's nothing more exciting to me than that in this life. Now, I mean, it's one of the wonders of being a pastor, the wonderful joys of being a pastor, when you see that people that, uh, you know, they've even been walking with the Lord a long time and they're still growing or some that are brand new with the Lord and, um, and, and you just see them blossoming. It's, it, there is 
I'm like, who would want to be a pastor to be able to witness all this kind of stuff? It's just, it's just the highlight, really, of my life, and I'm grateful for it. And as I say that, I, I even think the opposite is true also. I, I've, I've known people who, who you, you, you share Christ with them or you want them to, you know, give their life to the Lord and you want God to get a hold of them, and they're resistant. You know, they, they kind of stiff-arm you a little bit, um, whether if it's even coming to faith in Jesus or uh, surrendering, surrendering their life to him, they, they just tend to have sort of a, an arm up and an arm against it, like, like, like they don't want that, or they, they might want to act a little bit like they have it, but really they, they keep God a distance from themselves. And um, I, I, we're doing this series entitled God at Work, and it's a study through Romans 9, 10, and 11. And uh, it's a challenging study, at least for me, and maybe even for you as you're listening to what I'm bringing to the table, um, because to try and capture God at work is a challenge, because God is so far beyond us. He's so, he's so massive. He's, he's, he's beyond our, our greatest thoughts. Um, and when we think about people's lives, and we think about one life that just seems to be um, you know, growing in the Lord, and it's exciting to watch. And another life that that isn't, um, you wonder, okay, well, God, if you're at work in everything, um, how are you at work in these two different, what appear to be contrasting lives? How how does that actually happen? And um, as I'm sharing this morning, and I'm trying to explain that, um, you may have some questions of me or of the text that we're going to go through in Romans 9, the second half of Romans 9. And I want to encourage you to ask me questions. And so we have a telephone number that you can use. There it is right there, 920-320-121. You can get out your cell phones. And as I'm going along, you can feel free to text me questions. And if we have time at the end of the service today, I'll try to answer them. In the first hour, um, we didn't have time. So I'm going to try to talk faster to you than I did to them. But it's hard for me to shrink it all down, but I'll do what I can. And, uh, but anyway, if I don't get to your questions today, I will record them. Uh, video record my answers to whatever question you ask, and we'll put it up on our Facebook page. And uh, I had a text last week to say, hey, I don't have Facebook. Uh, can you put it in some other form? And so, yeah, we're going to try to get a link on our website also to the questions being answered by me as well. Um, and I could empathize with that person because I, too, do not have Facebook. I've, I've got zero friends. Let's just put it that way. And... Uh, but anyway, I, I, uh, I, I will do my best if we get to it today. If not, I'll definitely answer them on, online. So when it comes to these two di- different types of people, uh, we may find ourselves a bit confused when we think about, well, how does God work? How does he operate in these two, two different contrasts, someone who's following him and someone who's not following him? And it's the same questions that, the, that they were asking the Apostle Paul and that he was going to address in Romans chapter 9. So if you've got your Bible handy, you can follow along. Otherwise, I'll have the scripture up here on the screen. And here's how uh, Paul starts our section. It's Romans 9, beginning at verse 18. He says, So then he, the Lord, has mercy on whom he desires, you know, those who are following after him, and he hardens whom he desires, those who are not following after him. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? You know, I mean, uh, the question is raised. If God is involved in some way in every single one of our lives, 
the outcomes of our lives, then at least at some level, is it not he that is responsible for them? Is he not at fault? Or as they ask, can anyone resist his will? If, if this is his outcomes, who can resist them? The, the question that Paul is going to answer in the next section is just this. And it's, where does God's responsibility end and ours begin? Where does God's responsibility for our lives end, and where does our responsibility for our lives begin? So let's start talking about God's responsibility. I think there are three things that we're going to pick up from the text here that are God's responsibility. He takes responsibility for them. The first one is this. God creates us. I mean, each and every one of us is created by God, and he took the time to weave us together, to make us unique. There's never been another person like you, and there'll never be another person after you. Paul writes this in verse 20. On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use. God is the molder. God is the, the potter, and we are the clay. We're the vessels that, he's, that he makes. Every single person has been made by God, from Mother Teresa to Adolf Hitler and everyone in between. No matter who you are, God has made every one of us, and God creates each and every one of us for specific reasons. Um, some, he knows when he creates them, are going to just live a common life without him. Common use, as he says here. Others will commit their lives to him, and they'll live for honorable use. They'll live for God. They'll give their lives to him. He loves us. And if we offer ourselves to him to say, God, mold me, shape me for honorable use, he'll dive right in and he'll start to shape us. Matter of fact, one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament related to this is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. 2 Chronicles 16, 9, listen to what this says. It says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. That he may strongly support those who say, God, shape me. God, mold me. I'm yours. James in the New Testament said something quite similar in James chapter 4 and verse 10. He says this, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you or he will lift you up. When we humble ourselves before him, we say, God, will you shape me? God, will you mold me? God, will you strengthen me? He will mold us and shape us. He will lift us up. And by the way, that's what every single one of us is created for. He creates us to have a relationship with him where he will be actively working in our lives. So God creates us. Secondly, God is patient with us. God takes responsibility to say, hey, I'm just very, very patient with my people, uh, with the, those he's created. Look at verse 22. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. He endured with much patience. Uh, I read recently that patience is merely the art of concealing one's impatience. 
And when you read that, you kind of get the feeling like God's just kind of holding back. He's super impatient, but he's, he's holding back those vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And, and yet that's not the way to look at it. Better understood that patience is more like timing. He's waiting for the right time. And God is waiting. He's waiting because he wants more and more and more people to know his goodness in, his li- in their lives. He's patient because he wants us to turn to him. So God creates us. He's patient with us. And third, God is merciful to us. Many of you here can testify to God's mercy in your life, like Terry testified to God's mercy in his life. God is merciful uh, to us. Notice what he says in verse 23. And he did so, he endured with much patience, to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he also called, not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. I mean, every single human being. This isn't just for one group of people. As he says also in Hosea, which he quotes Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, I will call on those who were not my people, my people, and her who is not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in that place where it is said of them, you are not my people, they shall be called, get this, sons of the living God. The God of the universe. The God who is busy, you know, he's got a lot on his plate. No, there's nothing more important to him than you and me. And he calls us his children. He calls us sons of the living God, children of God. The God who wants to shower us with his mercy. He wants us to identify with his glory. He wants that for us. Should we choose to accept it? Which leads us to our responsibility. Our responsibility, first of all, is we decide our path. God doesn't decide our path for us. We decide our path. Back in verse 22 again, notice what it says, that he endured with much patience, get this, Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Now, that verb there, prepared, it's important to understand that verb. Two things I want to highlight on prepared. First of all, it's plural, not singular. God's not the one preparing us for destruction. We prepare ourselves for destruction. And prepared is in what's called the middle voice. That's important. The middle voice in grammar is when you do an action or you make a decision thinking that you're doing it for your own benefit. I do this for myself is a way to understand the the middle voice. And so people decide and they go along and they live what they think is for their own benefit, but what the warning is here, it's not for your own benefit. It leads you toward the path of destruction, actually. But we get to make the choice. We get to decide. So when we have to make a choice like this, it oftentimes is a big choice. Like, am I going to go down the path that God wants for me, or am I going to go down my own path? It's kind of a big choice. And normally when we, when we have big choices, if you're anything like me, you kind of like to put them off. Kind of like, okay, you know, I'll make that choice when I have to make it. So how long do we get? How long do we get to sort of decide, well, am I going to go your path for me, God, or am I going to go my own path? Well, let me just say, biblically speaking, we don't have long. So it's time to make a decision. Matter of fact, that's how Paul gives this warning in verse 27. Notice what he says. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. 
though the number of the sons of, the, of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. By the way, the word remnant is like the remaining, just the little chunk that will be left, the people. Uh, for the Lord will execute his word or his judgment on the earth, get this, thoroughly and quickly. Now, he mentions this remnant here as he quotes Isaiah. Um, in Zechariah 13, verses 8 and 9, you can look it up on your own later if you'd like, or just trust me. It's true, though. Zechariah 13, verses 8 and 9, uh, he talks about the remnant. How many are the remnant? And when God's judgment comes on the earth, like he's talking about here, how many are the remnant? Well, it says that two-thirds will be killed and one-third will remain. Now think about that. Talking about the judgment against Israel, two-thirds will be gone and one-third remain. Today in the world, there's 14.4 million Jews. You minus two-thirds out of that, that's 9.5 million will be gone. And 4.9 million will remain. It's going to be a major, major judgment that's going to happen. And it's going to happen thoroughly, and it's going to happen quickly. So the warning that Paul is giving to us out of Romans 9 is, let's stop riding the fence. <laughs> let's stop staying lukewarm Let's make a decision here. And this isn't the only warning. There's warnings over and over and over again throughout the Bible. Like God's going to sweep in like a thief in the night when we least expect it. And he's going to bring about his judgment or bring about his justice. And we're warned here again. Make a decision. What path are we going to go on? You know, sometimes it's hard to make decisions. Like um, years and years ago, uh, when our two oldest children were little, we were going through our summer, and Jill and I are like, well, we should really do like a summer vacation, but like where do, we, where do we go with our kids? I mean, you know, what's driving distance? We were living in central Illinois at the time. Where's driving distance? And, and so Jill was reading this Family Fun magazine. You ever hear of the magazine Family Fun? It's kind of a pretty well-known magazine. And there's an advertisement in the magazine that says, uh, vacation away from the city. And it was this place, and I can't remember the name of it, but um, like you can bring your family to this fun farm, like this hobby farm, and just have a blast. Like, your kids can, you know, help with the chores, and you can go horseback riding, you can milk the cow, you can do all this fun stuff. And we're like, you know what, this looks fun. And there were some endorsements on the advertisement, you know, you could go swimming, there's pontoon boat rides. We're like, this really sounds like a blast. So we made a decision. Let's do it. Let's bring our kids to this fun little uh, vacation away from the city. And so back in the day, uh, we wrote out our check and sent it in snail mail to keep our room, you know, make sure that we keep our room. And so uh, we made our deposit, and, uh, and then the time came. And so we're driving down to southern Illinois, and we're all excited. We got the kids all pumped up about this fun thing we're going to do at this nice little hobby farm. And we're, you know, before you know it, we're on, like, um, you know, like country roads. And we're like, okay, this is cool. We're on country, you know. And then we finally get this little, like, sort of rundown sign, like, oh, this is it. I think this is it. You know, we, we pull in the driveway, and it's this long, winding driveway away from the road. And we pull in, and um, there's, like, nobody there. Like, nobody there, right? And we, we get out. We're like, well, there, there's a pool. Um, well, it's not like it looks on the picture. Uh, total algae and leaves on the top and... And we're looking around, and the lawn's not really mowed very well, and, and we're thinking, 
okay, all right. And still nobody, like, is coming around. And so I, I'm like, hello? Hello? We, we finally go up to the farmhouse, and we knock on the door, and nobody comes to the door. We, we knock on the door, and nobody's come. Then finally, finally the door, oh, okay, somebody is here. Okay, good. And this older woman comes to the door, and her husband behind her is kind of coming to the door, too, you know. And, oh, you must be the ones. Okay, yeah, um. Well, Bobby had to had to do some errands, um, and he'll be back soon. So why don't you why don't you guys come on in? Bobby's gonna help you out, set you up with your room and everything. And we're like, okay, you know. So we go in, and we we're trying to create some small talk with this older couple, and and they're not really much for words, so it's a little awkward, you know. But finally, the door opens, and in walks Bobby. Bobby's like their thirty-something son, and Bobby is like. Six four. Not really in shape. I mean, he has shape, you know, but not really like in shape. And you know, he's got bib overalls. And, and Bobby comes in. Oh, I'm Bobby, you know. And he shakes my hand. And I'll show you to your room. And and so we go out. And he brings us to one of the outbuildings on the farm. Like it was like a. You know, a chicken, it used to be a chicken coop, I'm sure, and, and it's made into a little place to stay. So so we go in, and uh, Bobby's like, oh, there's should be enough beds, and there's the sink and the bathroom. And, and, you know, we'll have dinner later, so come on up to the house when you're all settled in. So we get there, and we're, we're getting the kids all set up in their little bunk bed, and Jill and I are figuring it all out. And then I realize something. Honey, there's no lock on the door. Like, no lock. So... Um, you know, we had dinner, and I'm like, how, what, what am I going to do, stay up all night? I don't know these people. You know what's going on here. So the kids go to sleep, and Jill and I literally rigged up this, like, chair, these chairs to barricade the door. Like, if someone comes in, at least we're going to hear them before they, you know, kill us or something like that. So the next morning, we get up, and the kids get to do all the chores with, the, with Bobby. You know, Bobby's on, he's like way huge, and he's on this little rider tractor with this little trailer behind him, and the kids are riding in the trailer, having a good time, and they're doing all the chores and everything, and, and Brandon was old enough, so uh, he and I and Bobby went on a horseback ride, and, you know, Bobby's leading us up back into the woods, Brandon and me, and I'm like, okay, you know, all right. I'm making sure that I'm behind Brandon, I can make sure I always see Brandon at all times, and and Brandon's having a ball, you know. So then later on, Bobby's like, you guys want to go on a pontoon bow ride? I'm like, sure, you know. So he gets out the dually pickup truck, and he's got a trailer on it with a big old pontoon boat on the back. And he goes, you all can just hop in the pickup truck. We'll just drive down to the river. So we drive down to the Illinois River, and Bobby's having me sort of direct him to back his boat, you know, his big old pontoon, into the river. And he gets it back in the river, and uh, I'm untying it, you know. I'm on the trailer working, this, you know, sweating and everything, and I'm getting it in the, and I'm holding it. Then, I, and, and he's like, okay, and he, he's the first one to hop on the pontoon boat. And he's like, you guys, go, come on on, come on on. And so I'm holding the pontoon boat, and he's back there trying to get it started, you know, and it's having a little trouble, but he's, he's giving it a go. He's get, trying to get it going. And my wife and my two kids at that time get on the pontoon boat, and then all of a sudden, vroom, it starts up. And Bobby pumps her into reverse, and he starts backing away from the dock. My kids and my daughter are on the pontoon boat. I'm on the dock still. All of a sudden, Bobby is away too far. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
He's like, oh, ooh, you're not on yet. And you know, he's trying to get it uh, back to the dock, but it didn't seem like he was trying too hard. And all of a sudden, the current of the river starts taking him down. And I'm thinking, hold on a second here. The most valuable things in my life are on a pontoon boat with Big Bad Bobby, and I'm on the dock. I'm like, do I dive in? What do I do? And, and Bobby is all of a sudden, you know, having trouble trying to get the pontoon boat back to the dock. And he says, you know, it would just probably be easier if you meet me on the next dock down. Now, I'm thinking, the next dock down is like 100 yards away. Okay, okay. You have never seen me run faster. I am like, boom, down our dock. Boom, down the, the shore of the, of the river. And boom, out on the other dock before Bobby could barely turn the pontoon. I mean, I am like, I beat the pontoon to the next dock. I like sprinted to that dock. And I'm thinking, Bobby's going right by me. Bobby, he's going to take my family. He's going to go down the river with my family. And that's going to be that. Fortunately, Bobby did get the pontoon to the next dock. And I hopped on. And he puts her back in reverse again. And I'm not, I'm not joking. This is a pontoon boat, right? He gets us going straight. And he punches that bad boy. And it is like the front of the end of the pon pontoon boat. Whoa! Whoa! We are like flying down the Illinois River. You know, I mean, we are like flying. And I'm like, where is Bobby taking us? He is taking us to some secluded place. I just know it. He's got us here now right where he wants us, and he's going to be the meanest, baddest Bobby you've ever met. But he actually just was having a little fun. He turned the boat back around, brought us back to the dock. He's, you want to go again? I'm like, you know, we're good. It's, it was fun. I loved it. But I think we should get back to the farm. So, you know, we load up the pontoon. We go back. Now, let me ask you a question. You ever make a decision that when you're in the midst of the consequences of that decision, you realize it was a bad decision? But it's like, okay, well, there's not much I can do about it. You know, I just got to kind of live it out. And, and that's how I felt in the midst of having my kids down with this hobby farm in southern Illinois. Now, I'm telling all of you, listen, you got to make a decision today. W what path are you going to go on? Are you going to go the path that God wants for your life, or are you going to go down a path that you just kind of call all the shots? And I know what might be going on in some of your heads. Well, I don't want to make the wrong choice. I mean, seriously, what if I make this choice to give my life to God and he's going to take the things that are the most valuable to me and back them away from my life and bring them down the river with him? What if God does that if I give him my life? I can hear it. I say, look at the evidence. Look at people's lives who have known the mercy of God, who have seen him do glorious things in their life, like, like Terry's story and so many other stories that are in this room. You know, looking back on that vacation, my kids loved it. <laughs> they thought it was the coolest vacation in the whole wide world. I mean, why? Because they trusted mom and dad. And... They thought Bobby was one of the coolest dudes in the whole wide world. He, pay, he has this on a tractor, and I get to ride on the back of the I get to feed the ducks. You know, I mean, they thought he was the coolest dude in the world. Yeah, 
Actually, Bobby was pretty nice. I just was painting a picture in my mind of this guy that had nothing but bad for me, but he was super nice, super giving. We gotta, we've got to come to the Lord like my children came to that vacation. Matter of fact, uh, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. We've got we to come to this path that God has for us like a, like a child. Lord, lead me, you know. Matter of fact, that leads us to the second responsibility that we have. We decide if we will depend on God. We get to decide, okay, God, I'm going you know, to go down your path. Now, how do I stay on that path? The way I stay on that path is by depending on God all the time. There's only one way to stay on that path, and that is by faith. By faith. That's why Paul writes in these next verses, verse 30, What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith? But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. You see the two different camps going on there? The one camp is illustrated by Israel in this scenario, but I think most people fall under this camp. It's an independence from God. That um, You know, it happened all the way back at the fall of man. Remember when uh, Adam and Eve were there and, and the serpent was uh, tempting Eve? And um, he was basically saying, listen, you're smarter than God gives you credit. You can make your own decisions. God's holding something back from you. And, and you, you, you can live by your standards. Why do you got to live by his standards? You should live by your standards. Your standards are good standards. The second camp is those, are those who are dependent on God, where, where we, which is the very essence of what faith is. It's where we say, Lord, I, I, I need you. I mean, really, all of my life, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what, I, I'm, I just need you to have my whole life. I need you to have all of it. Now, to get to that point is difficult. To get to that point where we just say, Lord, I'm giving you my entire life. I'm, I'm not going to be the leader of my life anymore. To get to that point, why it's so difficult is because we got to get to a point where we admit. We have to admit where we say, I, I cannot be righteous in myself. I, I cannot I cannot live rightly. Uh, it, it is impossible. We get to a point, we have to get to a point where, where we just admit, of, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a ragamuffin, you know. I'm ragged. I'm, I'm deplorable. I'm immoral. I am wrong. Or as the Apostle Paul said it, I am the chief of sinners. Donald Gray Barnhouse uh, famous preacher from yesteryear. He's been gone a while now, but I, I was reading his commentary on this very chapter, and he says that we have to lose every vestige of confidence. Every vestige means lose every little bit of confidence in ourselves, in our human nature, in our human abilities, where we put our entire lives in the hands of Jesus. And this is hard to do. And that's why Paul writes what he writes here at the end of chapter 9. He says they stumbled over the stumbling stone. They, they couldn't get Jesus in the right place in their life. 
Because Jesus is the stumbling stone, we'll see here in verse 33. Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who believes in him, the stumbling stone, it's Jesus himself, will not be disappointed. By the way, that word believes, another little grammar lesson for you, it's a present active participle. What that means is it is an active verb in the present tense, in a continuous way. It's having a daily faith. It's having a continuous faith. It's walking by faith. Yes. God wants us to depend on him 100%. But we get to make the decision if we're going to or not. We get that responsibility laid on our shoulders. But, you know, with with choices that we have, uh, there comes consequences. One we've already talked about. I'll highlight it again. Uh, if we choose to go down our own path, it leads to destruction. Again, verse 22, back up in verse 22, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Remember, people are the ones that set themselves on that path. When we decide a, a direction that we ought to go, um, the path that we commit to, I like to say this. I like to say, listen, the reality is God's way is the right way. And if we don't do it God's way, it's the wrong way. There's really no middle ground. Either you do it God's way or you don't do it God's way. And by the way, God's way is the way of faith. It's the way of trusting. It's the way of putting our confidence and reliance upon God. We choose to depend on God in that present active participial way, in the present tense right now. In an ongoing way, the outcome is, as he says here at the end of verse 33, we will not be disappointed. We won't be disappointed. Again, look at the end of verse 33. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Now, I read that over and over and over, and I'm thinking, I, now seriously, can we trust that? Can we trust that if we put our faith in the Lord, we will not be disappointed? Because I've heard people say, listen, I've tried Jesus. I mean, I, I gave I gave Jesus my life, and uh, it didn't really work out. I mean, he didn't really do what I was expecting him to do, you know. What I wanted, it didn't really come to pass. I mean, I thought it was going to be this, and it didn't turn out that way. And they would say, listen, I put my faith in him, and I end up being disappointed. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says that he has this thorn in his flesh. He's a man who walks by faith, and yet he's like, God is not removing this thorn in the flesh, whatever that thorn in the flesh is. You could, you could say Paul seemed to be disappointed in his walk with the Lord. So what does the Word of God mean here that if we believe in him, we will not be disappointed? Well, I think we have to remember that God is the potter and we are the clay. We can't say to the potter, listen, I want you to make my life have this outcome or that outcome, and if you don't do that, then I'll take my life back again. (laughs) I gave my life to Jesus over 32 years ago, and uh, I didn't know what he would bring into my life. So many years have gone by. I didn't know how he would shower his mercy on me. All I knew is he wanted my life. And uh, honestly, I can tell you that uh, my life has not all been, what shall I say, lucky in charms, <laughs> you know? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it hasn't been a bed of roses. I can identify with Terry's story. It hasn't been, hasn't been easy. Um, 
And yet, as Paul concluded in 2 Corinthians when he talked about his thorn in the flesh, it's God's grace is sufficient. And his strength is seen in our weaknesses. And that's when we depend on him. When we give our lives to the Lord, life does not get easier. I'm just telling you that straight up. We give our lives to the Lord. The difference is that we have somebody to rely on. We have somebody to hope in. We have somebody who gives us peace in the midst of whatever we're facing in life. And when we see that, when we know God is there, that's when we say, and he's so good, no matter what I'm going through. When we keep on, keep surrendering and, and trusting and believing, no matter the circumstances around us, when we follow his nudgings, when we, when we, um, we see God work through his word and through his people and, and through real and truth-filled, honest, authentic relationships with him and with one another, I mean, that's, that's his mercy showering on us. That's, that's his glory. And God wants us to know his mercy. He wants us to know his glory, experience that now and, and forever. It's not just for something coming in the future. It's what he created each and every one of us for. It's what he's taken responsibility for. But we have a choice to make, too. It's our responsibility to decide what path we're going to go on. Are we going to choose the path of independence from God? We get to call the shots. We get to do what we want to do. We get to define life how we want to define it. Or are we going to choose the path of dependence on him? Which path will you and I choose? Well, let's pray. Lord, I know many of us here have known you for a while, some a long while, yet you're even calling us to live by faith today. You're even calling us to give our lives to you today, um, to walk with you today. God, I know there's some in here who they've chosen their own path and not a path with you. And you brought them here this morning because you want to call them to the path that you have for their lives. You want to call them to surrender their life to you today. You want to call them right now to a life where you can show them your mercy no matter what they face. They can know your glorious presence in their life no matter what, what, what life brings. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you are a God who relates to us on a deep and meaningful level. Help us to relate back to you on that same level. Help us to relate to one another on that same level. God, thank you for, for calling us to be called sons and daughters of you. May we draw near to you in this moment, not out of our own righteousness, but out of a righteousness that comes by faith. Bring us, Lord, to that place where we surrender all to you.